and I've given you all a handout that has a lot of information on it. Um, I'm going to be real brief, but I'd encourage you to take that home and read it. It has a lot of really important information on it. But um, God created sex to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married. Sexual abuse is when people use other people for corrupt and improper sexual purposes. And sexual abuse, sometimes we think, well, it's, you know, just so prevalent now, but it's been going on ever since mankind has been on the earth. Um, you can find stories of people being sexually uh, abused recorded even throughout the Bible. Um, a person can experience sexual abuse at any age. Sometimes you'll hear on the news that there's a newborn baby that's their parents have been, you know, arrested or their uncle was arrested because they sexually abused a baby. And then you've heard of people working in nursing homes that are arrested for sexually abusing, you know, someone who's 80 or 90 years old. So it can happen to people of any age. And so as we talk tonight, we're going to cover sexual abuse of women and children. And um, it's important to note that sexual abuse of women and children almost always goes unreported. Maybe 60, 70, 80 percent of the abuse that happens to women and children is not reported. And that happens sometimes because people are just naive. They don't know it's wrong or they know it's wrong but they don't know they should report it. Um, sometimes people are embarrassed. Um, it's too personal. Sometimes they know the person and they don't want to get the person in trouble. Um, sometimes it's a boyfriend that did it or you know a, a father or a stepfather or an uncle and um, they don't want their friends to find out because they're embarrassed and sometimes it's because they're afraid. Um, this happens with all ages, but especially with children, because a child predator, the way they work is they get the child to believe that they're going to kill their parents or something like kill their brother or kill their sister if they tell. So fear can be a big factor. <clears throat> I'll tell you um, the different things that have happened in my life, and I think a lot of people have had something happen to them along the way. Um, I have to tell you that I was extremely, totally, completely, unbelievably naive until sometime in my 30s. <laughs> so I feel like it's really important to know about these things because I think knowledge is a, is a great tool in preventing things like this from happening. On my first date at age 14, I was raped. I wasn't a Christian back then, and I didn't know the person I was dating, I met them on the phone. Um, it turns out he lied about his name, he lied about his age, and you know, in your mind you think when a girl goes on their first date, their parents are going to be there, they're going to know the guy, you know, they're going to know exactly where they're going, when, when they're you know, leaving, when they're coming home, but my parents didn't ask anything. Oh, you're going to go on a date? Oh, good, bye. <laughs> you know which wasn't really too good. Um, I got in the car. He took me to a subdivision under construction in Chesterfield. He raped me and he took me home. So, and I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know anything about sex. I didn't know anything about boys or men. I didn't know about my sex organs. I didn't know about their sex organs. Um, I didn't even know what a date was supposed to be or what it was supposed to consist of. Um, 
And I was as naive as a three-year-old, and that's one of the reasons that happened to me, because I didn't have a clue what was going on. Um, I told my parents what happened, and they took me to the police. The police grilled me, and nothing was done. And after that, every date that I went on was basically the same story. My parents took no more responsibility, and I didn't, I didn't know what was supposed to happen, and I didn't know anything that you know, was normal. But then I got saved when I was 15 years old, and then everything changed because I became a new person on the inside, and I knew that I was a temple of the Holy Ghost, and things like that shouldn't happen when you go out on a date. The next thing I recall was when I was in high school, we had a school bus driver that was very, very friendly. He was older, and when you're 16 or 17 years old, older, I don't know what that really means now. Um, to me, when, he was, when I was 16 or 17, he was like 70 years old in my mind, but he could have been 50 or 40 or 30, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, he seemed really old, but he had horses, and he invited me to come over to his house and horseback ride. He lived in the Chesterfield area, and I, you know, oh, right, horses. You know, I was really excited about it. And I got to ride one of his horses and had a great time. And when the ride was over, he grabbed me and tried to kiss me. Well, I knew it was wrong. I, you know, broke free of him, and I left. But I never told anybody, you know, which I didn't know I was supposed to. And then the next thing that happened is after I had my first child, my parents had me come over. They said there was something that they needed to talk to me about. <clears throat> My first husband, who I later divorced, they said was fondling my sister, who was probably 12 or 14 years old. And I didn't believe them, and I was, at that time, I was, you know, I thought that I had married a Christian man, and I was trusting God that he'd, you know, live the way that he told me he was going to live. And um, um, I just couldn't, I didn't understand, I had no comprehension that people did anything like that. So I just... Basically, I just blocked it out of my mind, and I chose to ignore it. It ended up that my sister and my first husband had a sexual relationship that lasted for many years. And later, she divorced her husband because he was upset with that relationship. So I've had some experience along these lines. Um, I've um, had experience where I had a couple of neighbors. I lived in the country, and I had... Uh, as a, basically as a single woman, and I had a couple neighbors who really were old men. <laughs> they came over to my house and tried to hug me and kiss me, and, you know, I had to push them away, physically push them away. And then the last thing that um, I know that's happened to me was many years ago in a church. Um, I worked in a children's ministry, and one of the church employees got me, like, behind a corner. And he was married, and he had children, and um, he told me that he was attracted to me. Well, I was so shocked and still very naive, and I didn't know what to do, so I just didn't say anything to anyone. Now, a lot of these stories you might find shocking, but they're very, very, very mild compared to what has happened to many people. But I wanted to, what I wanted to do was show you that it's a common thing and that it happens to a lot of people. And... Um, the most important thing I want you to know from what I said is that it's important not to be naive about these things because they're out there and they happen more often than you think. Um, I was totally and completely unaware of what happens when a male does not submit himself to God's plan for marriage and sexual purity. 
um, being naive for me got me into a lot of trouble. And what naive means is to be innocent, simple, inexperienced, untrained, unschooled, unschooled or untaught. So I just didn't know. And not knowing got me into a lot of trouble. Um, you might think, well, you know, well, what does a sexual molester or a rapist or somebody who's going to do that look like? And a lot of people think, well, it's, it's a dirty old man. But that's not true. Because most uh, child molesters are 35 years old or younger. Uh, a lot of times we think, well, you know, it's a stranger. You know, stranger danger, you know. But that's not true either. The majority of sexual predators seek a leg legitimate access to children. In other words, there's somebody that your child knows, like a coach, a scout leader, a teacher, a janitor, a relative. Um, I knew a girl in high school who babysat for a family. And the, the husband and wife that she babysat for, the man, would always take her home. She was babysitting. She was a teenage girl. And he would have sex with her in the car before he dropped her off at home. Of course, she didn't tell anybody either. But these ha things do happen a lot more than you think, especially when you don't know what's going on. Um, sexual predators look exactly like everyone else. Um, if there's 50% of the um, men in, in the nation that are college educated, then 50% of child predators are college educated. If 50% of the population is Caucasian, 50% of child molesters are Caucasian. They look and act just like everybody else. So you can't think that, you know, they're going to look a certain way or, you know, they look and act like everyone else. And they're experts at blending in. Um, I have on your sheet the effects, and you can look at it later, uh, that rape and molestation have on children and on adults. Um, with rape, um, there's long-term symptoms often of chronic headaches, fatigue, sleep disturbance, and the list goes on and on and on, and it's, it's on your sheet. And then the last thing I'm going to say real quickly is what can we do to prevent it? First thing is to educate yourself. The second thing is, um, or one way you can educate yourself are, is looking at different websites on the internet. And they're very helpful, and I've, I've given you a list. And a couple of the websites I've given you actually tell you where the child registered sex, sex offenders are in your neighborhood. Just, you know, you can look at it. There's nine registered sex, sex offenders who either live or work within a mile of this church. There's 42 registered sex offenders who live or work in the 63026 zip code. That's our zip code right here. There's 19 in High Ridge, 39 in the Baldwin 63011 area, and 31 in the Arnold zip code. So I just took some zip codes that people from around here are acquainted with. So you can go to those websites. You can click on it and see who lives on your street, who works at the stores you, who, you know, if there's sex offenders that work at the stores that you go to, or, you know, maybe a service that you're going to use, are they coming into your home? It's important to know. Very important to know. You can also click on those sites to see what they were convicted of. You know, it's, those things are really important to know. And it's amazing when you look how many sex offenders work at the same place or work through the same agency. Another thing that's important is when something like this has happened, especially to teach your girls or boys, is 
if somebody's going to do something to you, you're, you're not to be polite. It's reported that half of the kids that get away from abductors do it because they fight and they yell and they scream. So if someone's trying to do something to you, you need to fight and you need to yell and you need to scream. Um, there's a whole list of things for children, you know, uh, what to tell them. And then um, in conclusion, I'm going to tell you a few things that may make you feel like I'm telling you it's your fault if you're molested, but I'm definitely not doing that. But as teenagers and adult women, we can do some things. Um, often we're unaware of these things that can stimulate a man's sex drive. And the last thing we want to do is to tempt a good man to sin or unknowingly tempt a molester to molest you. Something that's good to do is we, when we're out, we need to walk or jog or bike with a friend and not alone. Uh, we need to understand the male sex drive. Um, if you can understand that, that will help you a lot in preventing things that can be prevented. In dressing modestly, not being flirtatious, in staying out of inappropriate situations, and in understanding what drugs and alcohol can contribute in sexual advances. It's important not to date until you mature, are mature enough to do so. And a lot of times we think we're a lot more mature than we are, but it's really important um, to sometimes, you know, it's good to trust your parents in this. Remember that many women are date raped in college. That's the most vulnerable time for women to get raped is during when they're in the college age. Um, Many teenage and college-age males do not know how to handle themselves when an attractive female is dressed where her breast, her belly, or her behind are exposed. And then when you add to that drugs, alcohol, you know, a girl being a flirt, sometimes it's just a recipe for problems, so we need to watch what we're doing. It's important never to use drugs or alcohol when we're dating and not to date anyone who is using them because alcohol plays a key role in um, this age group especially. And the very last thing I want to say is it's very, very, very important to remember that adults and children can be accused of doing things rightfully or wrongfully. Um, many of you have heard stories of like a teenage girl getting mad at a teacher who that failed her and so she's going to accuse him of fondling her. And in that case, the teacher can lose his job for life, even though he didn't do anything. Um, there was a story recently of a lady named Tanya Kraft. She was a kindergarten teacher in Georgia who was accused of molesting three girls, and she was found not guilty. And um, she lost her teaching license. She lost one of her, she lost her children. Um, and it was all just a story that got bigger and bigger and bigger as it went along. So what I would suggest is if you suspect a child has been sexually molested, it's important to consult with someone who specializes in that field and has training and experience in interviewing children concerning sexual molestation. It's well accepted that children do not lie about these occurrences, but their story can change and be wildly exaggerated or dangerously downplayed by a hysterical parent or inexperienced interviewer even if that inexperienced interviewer is a police officer, school counselor, or child welfare worker. And in this one story of Laura, I think her name was Laura Kraft, um, when you went through exactly what happened, 
you know, the interviewers were telling her, well, I'll give you, I'll give you a present, I'll give you a toy if you, you know, if you tell me what happened, you know. They'd say, well, nothing happened, and then the, it just went on, and their stories grew because of suggestions, and it, it was, it's really sad. So it's really important to have professionals um, deal with these situations. Now, before I have Casey come up, I'm going to give out some attendance prizes. Do you have the list? She's a graduate and staff member at Mercy Ministries, and she has a lot of really good things to share with us. hear me good right now oh good this seems like a real like down home family church so I might just like sit back and <laughs> um, I might just bring this over here oh, this is really comfortable I like this um, like Diane said my name is Casey and I work for Mercy Ministries I'm also a graduate of Mercy Ministries and I went to the Nashville home um, and I went to mercy because I was abused uh, by my brother, my dad, and most of the men in my life. I personally have never been sexually abused. Um, I was physically and emotionally abused. Um, but pain is pain to the human heart. We, we've all felt pain, rejection, disappointment, and it. no matter what type of pain you have, it still can affect you. Um, I coped with my pain by self-harming. Um, drinking. I've basically done everything besides drugs. Um, I added homosexuality for a while. Um, I, I did everything. Um, and through God's power and his love, I had never known God's unconditional love. When I um, was living at home, my dad would abuse my brother just for little things. He had a very bad temper. He didn't know what he was going to do when he got home. He had his chair, and he didn't sit in his chair. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, and when my dad and my mom would go shopping or grocery shopping or that kind of thing, my brother um, would abuse me because I never got hit. I just saw it happen, and sometimes when you see things happen, it can scar you just as bad. So I had already had just a, a heart of just... Um, uneasiness of fear of men. I thought all men were kind of hotheads, so to speak, and had an anger problem. Um, and when I went to tell my mom that my brother was abusing me, she didn't believe me. She never validated that hurt. So I was like, nobody's going to protect me. Um, and so I was also in dance at that time. I started dance when I was three years old, and I went up to college. Um, it just so happened I was really good at it. And I got into a ballet company when I was in high school. I left school early to go to dance. I taught dance. Um, I, dance was my life. Dance was my escape. Um, that's all I did. And in, in that dancing world, there's no um, gray area. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. There's no black or white. Everything is okay. Everything is, you know, you like girls? Go ahead. You want to cut your arm? Go ahead. Like, um, I had to sign a contract um, that said how long I could keep my hair, what foods I could eat. When I had entered Mercy, I hadn't had cheese, Coke, 
candy or some, I forgot what else it was for years because that contract said I couldn't have it. Um, if I wanted to be in the front row, if I wanted a job, you had to do with the contracts. I mean, you, you had to do this. So, in, um, and also the dancing world, um, the teachers were very, um, very strict. I got abused by women and men in the dancing world. So I, all I had seen in my life was chaos, um, uneasiness, fear, rejection. If you don't do this, you can't have this. And so I projected that to God. God, um, if um, I thought God, I thought I was his project to make him look good. You know, like I didn't realize not only did he love me, he actually liked me. And I think that's really big. And so I went to Mercy and um, before I went, I had auditioned for a New York City modern dance company. I, and, and I made it um, and I had everything paid for, my apartment, everything. My grandmother, who's awesome, who paid for everything, grandma's yay. Um, she was like, and this was my dream since I was three years old to be in New York to be famous, and I got it. But I also knew that I wasn't eating, that I was living a life that was, I was going to go straight to hell. Like it was horrible, and I had to make a choice dance or God. My parents didn't think I was sick. Um, I wasn't eating at the time. I don't know. I think they were in great denial about it. Um, so I, I had to make the choice go to New York or go to Mercy, and I chose Mercy. Um, it was the hardest decision I've ever had to make because um, I gave up a lot. Um, but I fully believe God's going to restore um, my love for dance, my dancing ability. I fully believe that. And God's, when I was at Mercy, God opened the door that I got to dance for Nancy, who you saw on the screen, which was a huge honor for me. And so when I graduated Mercy, um, I went home for a little bit. Um, but because my brother was still living at home, it was a really unsafe atmosphere, um, and they weren't going to let me go home, um, but they did, and it just so happened I um, got accepted to the internship at the St. Louis Dream Center up in North City by, um, with Joyce Meyer, and I was there for two and a half years. Um, I was in charge of the kids' programs there. I also worked in a women's home there um, with it was 40-year-olds and up. Now, that is to get free from a life-controlling addiction at 45 and 50. It is extremely hard. And we didn't have any girls graduate. Just because, you know, when you get older, you, you're stuck in your ways. You know what you want. And you don't really like a 20-year-old telling you what to do. I mean, let's just be real. So it was very hard. Um, but uh, God was faithful. And I got a job at Mercy. I'm the weekend staff here in St. Louis. I go to work Friday at 4.30, and I get off Monday at 8.30 in the morning. Um, I work 64 hours, a little over 64 hours. Um, sometimes I sleep, sometimes I don't. <laughs> um, it's, it's so rewarding to see God transform these girls' lives who have been sexually abused, physically abused, um, any, anything and everything. I've seen it. Um, and um, just working at Mercy, and um, right now I'm in my last year of school um, to, to be a Christian counselor. I'm not certified right now, but I will be in a year. Um, sexual abuse um, is a reality for many people, whether they're going through it now or they've been through it as a child, it's a reality, and we really need to be informed on how to 
help someone go through it, how to help someone process it, and um, not be offended at the way it manifests. A lot of time, homosexuals, the reason that they're gay is because they, they feel safe with women. It's because they got abused when they were younger. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, we, we need not to be offended at their sin because God is not offended at their sin. We have them come in the home all the time. Um, girls who are very aggressive, very upfront, we would call a strong personality. Um, they are, that is a mask for fear. A lot of times they've been hurt by so many men, so many women, people that they think they're supposed to trust and they've hurt them and they built these walls up, so many walls. And, and if, if they feel any sort of attack, they're, I mean, it's like bulls. <laughs> um, it's, it's fear, it's fear-based. Um, and I pray that this church, that all these types of people can come in this church and get um, just grace and get truth and get love because that's what they need. Love is gonna bring them through it. Yes, it may take time, um, but uh, that's why we're here. We're here to love people. This whole thing of life is about love. We gotta figure it out. Even with people that we don't agree with what they're doing or people we think or look weird or why do they act that way or whatever, it's all about love anyway. You know what I'm saying? And um, the girls that come through the home, they're abused by many types of people, friends and family, like Dane was talking about. Um, a lot of times it's church leadership, people that they think they're supposed to trust and um, they don't understand what's going on. I'm, oh, sorry. Um, I myself was kicked out of church. My church said, we're through with you. Our hands are washed with you. Um, because they didn't know how to handle my sin. I was crying out for help, just someone to tell me what to do. How, like, how can you fix me? And the church said, you're done. And I was like, great, I'm going to hell now. The church won't even help me. So um, a lot of people that have been sexually abused by church leadership, whatever, they don't, their view of God, their view of the church, their view of community is very skewed. And we as a church need to have understanding and wisdom on knowing how to say, you know what, that Satan wants to keep you out of the church permanently. That is an attack of Satan. All churches are not out to hurt you. All leadership is not out to hurt you. There are churches that are safe and that will love you. I know when I went to Mercy, um, I did not like preachers. I did not like leadership because of what I had experienced. And I would just sit on the pew at church and I wouldn't they're required to take notes at church just to keep their mind focused. I didn't take notes. I didn't pay attention. Um, but I, I watched this pastor get up there and preach and love every Sunday, every Sunday. And it just so happened my counselor also went to that church that we went to, and she would just tell me stories about leadership and authority. And hearing the stories, hearing the love, hearing the consistency of love where you are, God loves you where you are. We're going to love you in your stubbornness. That, that brought me through. Um, a lot of times, we're getting more and more of this at Mercy. Um, it's satanic abuse. Um, I, have a, I know a girl, who, we're close now. She's a graduate of Mercy. Her dad was a worship leader for a satanic church. Um, that's shocking, but it is very real. It happens all the time. 
um, it is a, a reality for many people that you might run across day after day after day. Um, I won't even go into what they have to do, um, but there are human sacrifices involved. Um, there is an incredibly, it's horrific, think of what you see on TV, multiply that times 100. These girls have to experience trauma so devastating, sometimes I barely can read their file. It affects me so, it, it affects me so much, and when I know that um, they've experienced this, I just kind of let them do what they want. I'm like, I don't care, just eat candy, eat gum, here, you know, get whatever you want, love, just I'm gonna love you and love you and love you because they've been, their past is so, you, you can't even wrap your mind around it. And um, like Dan was talking about, um, rapes um, happen a lot, especially with girls that are in college and um, going on dates and stuff, and they're either drunk at parties or on drugs or um, something like that, and a guy takes advantage of them, and they feel so guilty, like it was their fault. They could have done something about it. Like they are wrong. It was their. They feel have so much guilt, um, and they 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 think they're bad, and uh, that is not at all <laughs> God's plan for them. That is not God telling them that. Um, so there's a lot of different types of sexual abuses that we come in contact with at Mercy, and I'm sure that you guys do every day. You just don't know about it. One I'm going to hit on really um, big is uh, the church. Um, when the leadership in the church takes advantage of girls um, coming to church, we receive strength, community, unity. Our relationship with God grows. Um, but people come to church with their own issues too, with a, maybe a hidden um, porn addiction or they've been abused in the past or Maybe they are abusing, and they're so scared to tell someone. Um, and God, in his perfect love, doesn't override someone's free will. And sometimes those people um, who use their free will for evil are in the church. Um, and we have to, we can't be in denial about it. We have to understand that. And we tell the girls all the time that that abuse did not come from God. Um, and never been a part of his plan and it never will be um, and we try to tell them that all churches are not unsafe because um, I know I came into mercy with a view of churches are unsafe I can't be real because if I'm real they're not gonna take it they're gonna be offended they're gonna kick me out um, and so we tell them that God has amazing churches out there that they can be vulnerable they can share what they're thinking you know what's happening to them and it be okay and it's a safe environment because the enemy wants to use incidences of sexual abuse in churches or among Christians to keep people away. Um, and rapes, I think I went over this, there's a lot of shame and guilt that's a part of this. Um, and when the girls leave the party or leave the incidents where they were drunk or on drugs or something and they leave that situation that abuser I mean while they were in the situation a lot of times the abuser speaks things over them like you're nothing you're worthless you deserve this 
you know you like it, you know you want it. And when they leave the situation, they don't have the abuser telling them all that stuff that they're telling themselves. They're agreeing with the lies of the enemy over their life, and they're saying, I'm not worth it. I did deserve this. Um, you know, maybe I, maybe I am dirty. And so they tell themselves that over and over and over, and then they, bec- and then they become to act it out. That's where you see a lot of girls who are very um, sexually active or they have a lot of relationships or that kind of thing. It's, that is fear. It's fear-based. Um, it's, it's not, usually girls like that have very low self-esteem. And if you come at them with love and tell them it's okay, to talk about it, it's okay. I'm not going to judge you, you know. And I, I'm there's no condemnation, no guilt. Just let's talk about it because God's first response to us when we fail, when we mess up, is to say, "Come here, let's talk about it." It's never, "Oh, you messed up," you know. It's going to take me a while to trust you again. We tell the girls, God's first response always in every situation. No matter if they did it themselves, if it's brought onto them, if they were drunk, whatever it is, God's first response is always, come here, let's talk about it. Come here, let's talk about it. And so once you kind of diffuse their walls with love, they begin to open up. They begin to get real. Um, And the the first thing I would say, um, if you're helping someone go through sexual abuse or you've been... um, through it yourself. If you want a pen to take notes, um, you can do that. Acknowledge what happened to you. Um, uh, Talking to a friend, family member, um, a mature Christian, I would um, just encourage them to talk about it. Because once they talk about it, um, um, they make a decision that they're not going to let that part of their life control them anymore. Let them know that the process is painful because they're going to have to go through um, areas in their heart that were damaged um, during the trauma of the abuse. It's not an easy thing, but it's worth it. Um, In Nehemiah 9.27, I'll I'll say Isaiah 61.7, it says, instead of your shame, you shall have a double honor, and instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion therefore in their land they shall possess a double everlasting joy shall be theirs and when you tell someone who's been sexually abused everlasting joy will be yours they're they don't understand it they don't get it but once you tell them that over and over this is a promise of the word of god and god does not lie and you tell them that over and over everlasting joy is going to be yours everlasting joy is going to be yours you're going to get double honor for your shame. I promise you, you will. You're going to get double honor. Over time, they start to believe it, and they get it on, they get it on the inside. Um, number two um, is tell them to be honest with their emotions. A lot of times, it's really scary to admit that you've been sexually abused, um, and a lot of times, what we found at Mercy, um, that the girls are really scared because they, they say their body reacts to it, um, but they know it's wrong and they feel a lot of guilt because they have body 
memories and we tell them God designed sex for you to respond to it. That is not abnormal, but God is going to um, put to sleep those desires and those impulses until he's ready to awaken it. Um, a lot of times they're angry with God, and it's very important um, to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God, and to be honest with at least one more person. Um, are you mad at yourself? Are you angry with God? Are you, uh, do you even believe God is good? Um, just really get honest with it in your heart if you've experienced sexual abuse or any sort of trauma, any sort of thing. Um, do you, you know, do you think God is good? Are you mad at, you know, God? Are you mad at yourself? Really being honest. Um, and being honest with yourself is really important. With God, it's extremely important. But when you're honest with another person whom you tangibly see and who you know maybe is going to reject you, but they don't, there's a level of healing that comes when when grace is shined upon the thoughts in your heart. Does that make sense? When you're just really honest, like, you know, I don't even like God right now. I'm just so mad. Um, why didn't he stop it? He, he could have. He's a big God. I know he's big, and why didn't he stop it? They have, I, I tell the girls all the time, that is very valid. And God is big enough to handle your anger. He is not offended at, you know, what's happened to you, he can handle your bitterness, your resentment, your um, aggression. And we as the church don't need, don't need to be offended at that either. At their, if you have someone come in here who's really aggressive and, you know, just you're like, whoa, has a really big personality, um, there's a reason why that's happening. Um, and if we come at, come at him at a point of understanding and grace and love, um, you're going to get to the root of the problem because God's love always goes to the heart of the matter. And that's what he calls us to do as his body of Christ. Um, I think I touched on this um, just a little bit um, with uh, sometimes you may feel um, you can be angry with God for not stopping the abuse. Um, and like I said, God's, God will not override anyone's free will, though many people use their freedom of choice for evil. That is a very, it's very sad, but it's very true. Some people do. And uh, when you're going through this process of acknowledging what happened, being real with your emotions, you may have a fear of opening the door to those emotions because you stuffed them down for so long. Um, you just put mask after mask after mask after mask on them, and you don't really know how to feel. You don't know how to process the emotion. You don't. Is it okay to be angry? What does anger actually look like? Because if you've grown up in an, in an uh, abusive home like I did, the anger that I knew was yelling, fighting, throwing things, choking. My brother um, hit me upside the head with a wooden board. I had to go to the hospital. Like that was anger to me. I was so afraid to feel anger because that's what I thought it was. But you don't have to yell to be angry. There's passive aggressive anger. There's all types of anger. And um, it's really important to let yourself feel anger, to feel the hurt, to feel that. Um, so God can shine his light, shine his gentleness, shine his tenderness on it and heal it. Um, it's really important. A lot of girls are afraid to cry uh, because 
when they were being abused, they didn't want to give the abuser the satisfaction that they were hurting them. A lot of times, especially the girls that go into homosexuality, they put on this mask of um, just looking like a man, being strong, being the tough girl, um, and they, they've never cried. And in fact, we had a graduation at, Mercy, I think two weeks ago, where this was a story of this girl. She's very, she came in the home very manly, muscles just never wore pink, never wore a dress. At her graduation, she had on a dress, and she started to cry. She was telling her story, and she even said, I never cry. And I, I, mean, I was crying, like the staff was crying. It was a very tender moment. We let her have that, because that is very important, to allow yourself to cry, to allow yourself to go through it, to grieve what was lost. It's okay to grieve it. It's, it's important to grieve it. It's very vital to grieve because something was stolen from you. And God's going to give it back to you, double portion. But it's okay. It's very normal to grieve it, to cry, to get angry and mad. I mean, there's all there's different levels of grief. And people deal with it in many different ways. But it's very important to at least do it, to attempt to do it. Um, if you're in the process with someone and they're, they've already um, acknowledged what happened, but they're at this stage of trying to feel again, trying to feel emotions. Some of the ways that we tell the girls to process their emotions is journaling, listening to music, um, writing, uh, painting, um, making collages um, with like magazine clippings or newspaper clippings. and. Um, have it represent what they feel. Because if they don't know how to verbalize it yet, usually songs help and art helps because that speaks to them better. They know what they're feeling through pictures. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the third step after you've done that is te it's teach them how to forgive. I know as I've been in the church, I've been a Christian only five years now, um, and I came in and I heard, forgive, 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 and um, when I went to Mercy, I was like, what does that even mean? Is that a feeling? Is that a choice? Is that, what is that, if you're, if you haven't grown up in the church, if, you know, you don't have a father or a mother, and you've been um, orphaned at birth, you've been on the streets in a brothel, human trafficking, forgiveness is, where does that, what does that even mean? Um, and we tell the girls, forgiveness is a choice. It is not a feeling. And you may have to learn to forgive day after day after day after day. I know um, while I was at Mercy, I literally had to stand in the mirror and say, I forgive my brother. I, for I forgive my brother. I forgive my brother. I forgive them. I forgive my dad. I forgive that person who hurt me. I did that for like a month. And then my emotions began to catch up with what I was speaking out of my mouth. And a lot of times that's, that's what it takes is to kind of brainwash yourself again on how to think on God's truth and not the lies that were spoken to you and not your own. Because all your impulses want to say, I want to defend myself. That guy shouldn't have hurt me. Teach them how to forgive. And that doesn't mean you're excusing the ab abuser's behavior. That doesn't mean that you're saying it's okay. What you're doing this says it great in the book, if you got the book. Um, you're executing justice. You're 
releasing the task of executing justice and allowing God to fight on your behalf. Um, you cannot change what's happened to you, but by letting go through forgiveness, that brings peace and hope. A lot of times that's a foreign concept. Peace, what does that even mean? But it's a process and it takes time and it's not overnight. God can do miracles, sometimes it is overnight, but a lot of us, um, it's not overnight. Um, and one of the misconceptions, I think, of forgiveness, once you release forgiveness, that doesn't mean your pain goes away. A lot of times, once girls go through the process of forgiveness, they come in the next morning and say, but I still remember it, I still feel it. That doesn't mean your memories go away, that doesn't mean your pain goes away, but once you keep choosing to forgive, choosing to let go, God's going to bring the healing in your heart. He's going to start making your heart whole over time, and you're going to be able to live a life of freedom without that weight of, of unforgiveness, bitterness, of offense holding you back. Um, forgiveness allows you to go forward as you continually give the abuse and the abuser to God you are being set free to live a life free of anger, shame, and guilt. Um, and in the book, on page 22, there's actually a prayer of forgiveness that you can share with people that you meet or yourself even. That just It's a prayer that solidifies, I forgive my abuser, I forgive God, and I forgive myself. And it's done. It's done. Um, the fourth thing I would say is breaking soul ties. Um, this is a new, maybe a new concept. Um, it's a very real concept. Um, a soul tie is knitting together of two souls. Um, in a good relationship, a good soul tie is, can be amazing. Husband and wife, um, that kind of thing. But in an ungodly relationship, it is very destructive. If you're sexually united with an ungodly person, your soul is tied to that person spiritually. You can have a soul tie to people. Um, I don't know if I know some people that can't live without their phone, their cell phone. They take it with them everywhere. I mean, that to me, that's a little much. Can you live without your phone for a week? Can you live without your phone just for a night? A soul tie can happen with anything. Um, God created the sexual union of a husband and wife to knit their souls together and make the two become one as they establish the covenant of marriage. And in an abuse case, your soul has been violated along with your body and knit with the soul of the abuser. This unhealthy connection affects the way that you feel because a lot of times the person that's been abused thinks about the abuser all the time or they may have so much guilt because they feel attached to them um, just emotionally. That's not uncommon. It is very normal responses um, to an ungodly soul time. It doesn't just have to be sexual abuse. It can be a sexual relationship that you had outside of marriage or just any sort of relationship. Um, you can have an ungodly soul tie with them. On page 26 in the book, there's a prayer you can pray to release the ungodly soul ties, to accept God's freedom and um, just purity 
in your life uh, so you don't have to live with that bondage attached to you. Number five, I think, is the most important. Um, it's renewing your mind. A lot of times uh, the abuser will say, I'm going to kill you, you're worthless. Just speak lies, lies over and over. And if, if the abuse has happened from you know, age 7 to 12, you're hearing a lot of lies. You're worthless. You're not worth it. You're not valuable. You're dirty. You deserve this. Um, you'll never grow up and have a godly husband. And um, these things scar our souls, and it is vital to realign the perception of ourself with the way God perceives us. And the way that we teach the girls to do this is with ungodly, um, ungodly beliefs and godly beliefs. And I'm just going to kind of share an example. On page 52 in the book, it's like this. Um, the ungodly belief is my abuser will never pay for what he or she did to me. I must get revenge for myself. That's a very valid, a very normal response to abuse. Um, and what you do with these, you write all the lies down that you believe about yourself. I'm worthless. I must get revenge for myself. You write, write lies. Write all of them down. Sometimes the girls have 12 pages. Sometimes two. Sometimes they don't even know if it's a lie or not. Then we teach them to go into scripture and find scripture that combats that lie. Where it says you are dirty. You know, God says in his word, you are valuable. I, I love you. I formed you. I made you. You were my dream before I made the world. And they kind of form that into a godly belief. And this godly belief says, God loves me and will bring justice. I can rest in peace and let God be my vindicator. And there's three scriptures that, that they've chosen to kind of support that godly belief. Another one is, these emotions are too overwhelming and no one cares how I feel. The godly, belief, the godly belief is God cares how I feel and he has great compassion towards me. I can rest in knowing that he will carry my burdens. That's important. If, if you've had to carry your own hurt, your own guilt, your own shame your whole life, but God says he's going to do it for you, that's not a myth, that's not a fairy tale. God will actually do it. And once um, we, we have these girls write down this, and they have to say this, say these godly beliefs over themselves every day. Um, that they, they have a sheet that they sign once they're done. They, um, every day they're saying this, retraining the way they think, renewing their mind, renewing how they think about themselves speaking God's identity over them instead of their feelings, instead of their past, choosing not to live as a victim, choosing to believe the word of God. And that's with all of us. We have to choose to believe the word, what the word says over what our circumstances say, over what our emotions say, over what our, our impulses are saying. We have to choose to believe the word. Sometimes we're not going to feel it. I tell the girls all the time, sometimes it is not easy to read the Bible. I don't just wake up in the morning and say, ooh, let's go read the Bible. Sometimes it's work, and sometimes you just don't want to do it, you know? I mean, it's teaching the girls to be honest and be real and be open. 
that's important for, for them to hear, that's normal. Because sometimes they have this misconception that Christians love to read the Bible all the time. They never sin. They never get, you know, never have a bad thought. It's just uh, uh, this perfect life. And to be real with them, to um, just kind of be transparent with them, because nobody ever has been, um, is really important to develop that relationship of authenticity. Um, another thing I would say would um, be rebuilding trust with authority. Um, if you've been hurt by authority in the past, walls are up. Um, and it's really important to gently help them break those walls down through being consistent, being loving. Sometimes you might have to say, no, that's not okay. But if you do it in a way that's loving, and if you've already developed a relationship with them based on trust, based on, okay, I know that she's going to love me no matter what I do, I'm going to trust her. And it's, it's all going to work out. But we, you really have to be tender, have to be gentle, especially with the girls that are very aggressive, very just kind of gung-ho, just kind of out there. It's very important to just gently guide them to the narrow road, so to speak. Gently guide them to truth. Gently love them. The next thing I would say would be discover the truth about sex. Um, a lot of times, if you've been sexually abused, you think sex is dirty, nasty, gross. That doesn't describe sex. That describes sexual abuse. Um, and sex should be described as beautiful, pure, safe, and once you kind of discover the truth about sex, sometimes, you know, it takes a while for this to happen. Um, but once you kind of plant the seed, the sex was made by God. He invented it in Genesis. They start to want to believe it's true. Um, and over time, God does the work. You know, really it's not about the staff at Mercy or Mercy in general. It's about how we lead them to the one that, that can free them. The Holy Spirit does amazing things um, in their hearts and their lives. Um, and if you do these things that I suggested, um, I fully believe that each one of you can lead someone through just kind of a process of healing. Um, even if you're going through it yourself, God can totally heal your heart, body, mind, and soul. Um, and there's other things I just won't get into, but if you have any questions, um, I'll be over there. You can ask me anything um, about how to help someone, or even if you need help yourself, um, I'll be here. Um, I'm just going to um, lead us in prayer. And God, I thank you that you delight in us because you love us. You deliver us because you delight in us. God, I thank you that your heart is beautiful, um, that you're gentle with us, that you're tender with us, that you are slow to anger, and you are quick to love. That is not just a cute phrase. That is not just um, a fairy tale sentence. That is real because you're a real God with a real heart and real emotions. God, I ask that you would just expand our mind and our heart on how to help someone that has been sexually abused, I ask that you would impart wisdom to our hearts on um, what to say. Holy Spirit, put power on our words. Put power on our 
weak words, God, to just um, go straight to the heart of the matter, God, and just speak truth and grace and love to them. And God, I ask for just strength in our inner man as we face different situations, different circumstances. God, you just give us strength on the inside to be confident in our um, place of authority in the spirit that we can deliver people. We, by your spirit, can help them to a place of freedom. We don't have to be in a ministry. We don't have to be a famous person on TV. We are called to love, and that is our ministry. We're called to serve, and that is our ministry because you are the servant of all. God, help us become more like you and learn to love to serve. God, I ask that um, you would help us, give us the grace to love your son with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because that's the way you love us. God, we just thank you for who you are for this night. In Jesus' name, amen.